Welcome to the New Books Network. I, I think De Niro definitely did the right thing. I think mm-hmm. there's a, there is a time where you do have to, you know, maybe in this case, it's a just war, right? A few months ago, Jonathan Fessenden and I recorded Catholic Movies Part 1 about the Scarlet and the Black and Silence. We're continuing with Catholic Movies Part 2 today, talking about The Mission and A Man for All Seasons. Welcome to Almost Good Catholics, a conversation about theology and apologetics. I'm your host, Chris Odinitz, and I get to ask interesting people who've thought about the big questions to share their conclusions, to explain what we know, how we know it, why we think we know it. I hope this format and relationship and dialogue in back and forth may help us approach the truth and have a really good time doing it. Should you want to take the conversation a step further, please email me at almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. Today, I'm talking to Jonathan Fessenden. He is a Catholic writer and a theology teacher with an MA in theology and apologetics from Holy Apostles College and Seminary. He writes for Missio Dei, a journal that aims to include many Catholic perspectives, clerics, laypeople, theologians, academics, other writers. He's also a composer, and he loves the church, classical and film music, science fiction, and today we're talking about movies. We, this is our second time talking about movies. We recorded an episode back in November of 2022 about the Scarlet and the Black and about the silence. And today's our second time. We are going to talk about the mission and a man for all seasons. So, uh, Jonathan Fessenden, welcome back to Almost Good Catholics. Oh, thanks for having me. <clears throat> it's nice to be back here. I enjoyed the last time a lot. Me too. Me too. Well, welcome. Um, and I understand you even have a joke to share. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. I, I, and maybe it's even fitting for today, uh, since we're, we're getting into well, Jesuit, a little bit of Jesuit stuff. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. A man walked up to a Franciscan and a Jesuit and asked, how many novenas must you say to get a Mercedes Benz? <laughs> the Franciscan asked, what's a Mercedes Benz? And the Jesuit asked, what's a novena? Oh, no. <laughs> Okay, that's, that's it. Yeah, that's 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 a wickedly delightful humor. Um, yeah, <laughs> the Jesuits. Yeah, we needed we need to talk a bit about the Jesuits, and um, maybe let's start there. The one movie is The Mission, which is set in the 18th century, and the other movie is The Man, uh, A Man for All Seasons, which is about the life of Thomas More, which of course is in the 16th century. So let's start with The Mission because uh, it relates very very much. Uh, to your Jesuitical problem. It's directed by Roland Joffe and is based on a true story in the middle of the 18th century, right around 1750 in um, a land that belongs to the Guarani Indians between Argentina, Paraguay, and Brazil. And it deals with the problem of a mission, a successful mission that was built there on land that's being transferred from Portuguese to Spanish control or from Spanish or from Spanish to Portuguese. And it has to do with the protection of the indigenous people who have converted to Catholicism. And it follows a Jesuit, um, is he a bishop? Um, Altamirano is his name. Uh, no, he's a cardinal because they keep calling him your eminence. So he, uh, this, this very high ranking um, diplomat who is sent to oversee the transference of these missions, which also mean the missions have to be dismantled and destroyed and all the um, Guarani Indians have to be cast out and sent back into the forest. However, he does not expect that he's going to encounter uh, Jeremy Irons, who is Father Gabriel, and 
a guy named uh, Rodrigo Mendoza, who's Robert De Niro, uh, who, and there's also some other um, Jesuit priests, uh, including Liam Neeson and and some others, um, and they have built a a, a miraculously beautiful um, project, a, a really a, an Edenic kind of heaven on earth um, thing up above the waterfalls oh, yeah. uh, that, that must be destroyed. Um, well, it's and what else? What else should we say? Well, um, something interesting I, I noticed about this film that caught my eyes here. First off, the screenplay. I don't know if you caught this at all. <laughs> something that the uh, Man for All Seasons and uh, the Mission have in common is the screenplay was both written by Robert Bolt. Oh, wow. Well, no, I yeah. missed that. Yeah, Robert Bolt wrote the screenplay for um, – he, he was an English you know, writer. So he wrote Man for All Seasons as a play – which he's very, very known for, right? And then he also did Lawrence of Arabia, the play, Dr. Zhivago, and The Mission is his last film. Uh, he does some TV stuff, but his last film work where he writes a screenplay. Um, I think it's it was just rather interesting that we were doing both of these, right? No, absolutely. And that is uh, a, a fortunate coincidence or perhaps a tiny miracle because I did not, <laughs> I did not notice it. Uh, and I love all of those movies, uh, especially Lawrence of Arabia, right. um, which I know very well. So um, in addition, uh, this is a conversion story for Robert De Niro, Rodrigo Mendoza, who begins the story as a slave trader and a mercenary, but in a fit of uh, passion, murders his own brother over a woman and um, finds himself in the depths of depression and uh, despair. And only Father Gabriel, who is Jeremy Irons, can sort of pull him out to it by giving, by, by pulling him into a life of service, where he eventually becomes a Jesuit priest himself and works to redeem, not to redeem himself, but to serve the very Indians he was um, hunting and selling and murdering uh, as, a, as a mercenary uh, now as a as a priest, so yeah. so that's like that's really the first half of the movie is his conversion. Yeah, 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 most definitely. Um, you know, the opening scene too is 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 pretty interesting to me. I watched the film twice here recently, just because I had watched, I had had eyes on this. I don't know, maybe eight years ago or something, mm-hmm. but I didn't quite. I don't know. I just didn't quite. Maybe I just didn't quite understand it completely and it's definitely a film you need to take you know some time with i mean it's very it's a high level hollywood mm-hmm. actors in this right and the music by the way of course is uh inyo morricone mm-hmm. <laughs> that the music's just ah, gorgeous yeah know? the music is astounding you will all all, all our, everybody knows inyo morricone from uh western movies oh yeah yeah, yeah. No, good uh, bad and the ugly and <clears throat> yep yeah so uh, the music and um, the music is a big part of the story too, because it is through playing the oboe that Father Gabriel is able to uh, gain, um, open the door uh, and gain a toehold in the Guarani society, where they don't just um, tie him up and throw him down the waterfall uh, as they did his predecessor. Yeah. Right. And they tied him to a cross and, and threw him over the waterfall. And, and um, at the very beginning, the Cardinal Altamirano, who's played by the Irish actor Ray McAnally, he's describing the mission um, because the whole, okay, so the structure is his report. It's all, it's all sort of in flashback format. He's writing a letter to the Pope to explain everything that has happened. And so he's narrating the story even as we're watching it. And so it begins with him talking about Father Gabriel 
climbing the waterfall, founding the mission. And he says that his predecessors um, had had been rewarded with the crown of martyrdom or something very close to that. Yes, yes. And I read up on this a lot too. And, you know, that particular area, the uh, Guarani, Guarani were not welcoming in the Jesuits so much at first from what I've, what I've read in some, in some stuff. It took some time. Yeah, that's right. And the historical rebellion is really uh, a Guarani uprising to the taking of their missions from them. So um, that's a criticism that I've seen uh, about this movie is it's really about the priests and the, the indigenous people are sort of extras in it, whereas the real historical story, they were the ones who, who started a rebellion at this point, which I think is something people might not have been as sensitive to a generation ago, and maybe that movie would have been made in a different way today. But really, because it's such a, the drama is between which is the correct way, the way of peace or the, you know, the way of the pen or the way of the sword between these mm-hmm. two men. Um, it works dramatically that it should really be about, about them, um, though historically that's a problem that, you know, the, we don't, we don't ever learn the names of, you know, the chief. We don't learn the names of the, the boy who sort of like follows Rodrigo around. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I, I'm sure that the film's um, intention was definitely, you know, again, Robert Bolt, who was highlighting a lot of this, obviously focused on the Jesuit side of things. Right. Yeah. And, and again, I was reading some things. I like to really compare when I when I suggest films to people. And by the way, I'm, I'm sure we both agree this is a film to suggest. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I love this movie. It's even in the Vatican top fifteen films. Okay. Uh, yeah. And but there's one thing I was reading. What I like to do with historical films. Well, I'm, you're really the historian here, <laughs> but I was doing some footwork, and you know how accurate is the film? So the one, and it, it looks like it's, you know, obviously it's in film form, right? It's mm-hmm. meant to entertain. It's meant to kind of give you a uh, window into the that period of time, which I believe was, what, 1750s, right? Uh-huh, yes. And the, and the Guarani War comes at 1756, right? Mm-hmm. That sounds right. Yeah. Now, from what I did read, it actually wasn't a cardinal that was making the decisions about, you know, stopping the Portuguese, you know, the whole, the whole point of the movie, what, which was what the treaty of Madrid, I guess they called it. Mm-hmm. That's right. So from what I read, it actually wasn't a cardinal, but a statesman that was running it. So I think the film did take a liberty putting the cardinal there as, as the, um, you know, yeah. As the guy that made the decisions about what was going to happen. Now, I don't think that that was uh, maybe to make the church look bad or anything. I don't think that was the case at all. I think it maybe just thread the film better and, you know, made a, a closer connection to maybe religious and Catholic things as well. Now, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, I very much agree. And, you know, there's a the fact that the Vatican would put this so high on their list is, is, is quite honorable um, because the church, the institutional church comes out very poorly. The institutional church is making a compromise with the, the, this Portuguese statesman, the Marquis of Pombal, who's kind of, uh, who's competing with Jesuits for authority in Portugal and sort of as a total, total, um, 
collateral effect of whatever's happening in Portugal, these missions must be moved. And so the cardinal comes and he sees with his own eyes what an evil that would be if he were to do it, if he were to yeah. make this sacrifice of these, you know, innocent people who have believed with their whole heart, uh, mind and, you know, spirit and strength in, in the redemptive uh, gospel followed this Jesuit priest, Father Gabriel, built this gorgeous church, created created the kingdom of heaven, you know, in miniature on earth. And then he's willing to burn it, literally burn it all down and send them back into the forest, you know, where they say the, you know, the, the, the Indians say like, we don't want to go to the forest. That's where the devil is. So back to your pagan, like it is, it is a, you know, it is, um, it is a grave sin. Uh, it is a grave and mortal sin that this guy is doing, in addition to all the murders that happen on the way. Right? He makes a very interesting point there, too. I mean, remember when he makes the comment in the film, which is really the turning point in the film, where he says, uh, the Cardinal we're talking yeah. about, says something along the lines to where uh, maybe we shouldn't even... He always is wondering if we would have just stayed out of it, what would have happened, right? Yeah. And I couldn't help thinking that, too, in all honesty, like as much as I want to evangelize the word of God. Um, there in this particular case, like. There's a danger. Th- this really reminds me too um, that comment and this film, by the way, of Apocalypto, which had the same exact message, right? The Mel Gibson Apocalypse, right? You know, at the very end of Apocalypto, if you've watched it, maybe we'll have to talk about that one one day. (laughs) Yes, I like that one too. Yeah, it's great. Well, you know, they kind of, they kind of, when the boats come up at the end there, they kind of go in the opposite direction. Spoiler alert, you know. Well, (laughs) let's not, let's not open the doors to this. I couldn't help thinking that, you know, but these Jesuits at that time were so, I, I think their heart was in the right place. I mean, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong or I'm, you know, biased a little bit on some of the historical points here. Well, yeah, no, you're 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 completely right that the Jesuits are. So here's the quotation you're referring to: um, uh, Cardinal Altamirano says, "Though I knew in Europe states were tearing at the authority of the Church, and though I knew that to preserve itself there, the Church must show its authority over the Jesuits here, I had to wonder whether these Indians would not have preferred that the sea and wind had not brought any of us to them." Yeah. So yeah, that's that that's a non sequitur because on the one hand he's talking about making these sacrifices and then he flips to like, well, had they wished they'd never found we'd never met us in the first place and been converted in the first place. And it's true, like you're supposed to evangelize with gen- gentleness. It's supposed to the evangelization should be an invitation. It should not be at the point of a spear or a bayonet or um, you know, all the all the all the wrongs that empires have visited on indigenous peoples everywhere. And yet, despite them, there's, you know, a strong church in places, you know, like Mexico and Brazil. The Catholic Church is is super, super important. Um, and that's despite the, the flaws of the Spanish Empire. But there's also, I like in this one, like in Apocalypto, the Europeans are in one boat together. There's a priest, there's a conquistador dressed all in metal, and they look like aliens from outer space, right? <laughs> to the to Jaguar Paw and the other guys. Like we're like, yeah. what what is happening? Right? Whereas here there's a clear distinction between the conquistadors who are self-serving slave traders, right? Like the Hernan Cortez. Yes. And then there are the the men of God who love these people, like um in Mexico it'd be like Motolinia or um, um 
a bunch of other, you know, like really, really holy people who who build who build this. And that's that's why the conflict is between those two figures and why Robert De Niro starts off as one and becomes the other, just like um, Bartolome de las Casas. Right. He he converted uh, in in Cuba, I think, at the beginning of the 16th century. And he became first an encomendero who wanted to profit from the empire. And then he became a great champion of Indian rights. Yeah, well, and I think that's, for me, moving all the historical context aside and just enjoying the film, you know, the Mendoza, right? Mm -hmm. Rodrigo Mendoza, which is Robert De Niro. I mean, Mm -hmm. that character to me, it just resonated with me in my own life. Well, I never did anything as, as extreme as he did by killing someone. But, you know, I love these kind of films when because they really hit home to the convert, you know, when, when you give your life over to God, right? Yeah. And, and what about a life you really, really have? I mean, it's everything that that Christ talks about, putting the things of the world to the side, right? Yeah. And, you know, the film, the film is just so beautiful. You know, Jaffe, who also did a very good, another good film called The Killing Fields, if you remember that one. I've never seen that. Well, you know, he likes some of those. Those are like his two, you know, biggest yeah. films, and they're real um, docu documentary style films in a way, historical documentary, very good. Um, but I think people would really just resonate with the Mendoza role, you know, of Robert De Niro. It's just so heartwarming, right? Yeah. Oh, when yeah. you see him with the Indians. And, and especially the boy that always follows him around. And I love that that character, you know. It's like yeah. it's like his best friend. He looks up to him so much, you know. And, you know, he reminds me a little of me, too, where he's got a little temper. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, he, he has a hard time keeping his mouth shut. You know, that's why Robert Nero was perfect for this role, right? Yeah. Like right. That court scene where he's like, when uh, the, uh, what, what, what's the, what's the role of that? He's Spanish, right? Right. He, the bald man uh, that's a, kind of a slave trader, right? But he, he appears to be a statesman. Can you clear that up for me a little bit? Don Cabeza is uh, the Spaniard. And then um, Don Hontar or Senor Hontar is the Portuguese. And they are, uh, there's, they're kind of a, uh, there's a little dramatic foil there because Don, um, Don Cabeza is like fat and bald and loud and uh, hasty and um, not, you know, doesn't, doesn't think two steps ahead. And then Senor Hontar for the religion, so it does not have much love for the church. Yeah, and and then Don Hontar, the Portuguese fellow, he's quiet and slender, and always observant, and he can think, you know, two steps ahead, and he's like, maybe, you know, maybe yeah. stop spouting off right here; it will serve us better. And so the two of them together are whatever they're doing, trading slaves and making a fortune. They're trying to help Altamirano do the thing that he's here to do, whereas. He, Altamirano, the cardinal, he he can tell, like, man, I'm about to commit a great, a grave evil. Uh, yes. And so um, th- that for me, and I think I, 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 I lost this thread, but I was about to say it earlier, like the fact that the institutional church comes off so poorly, it really is like he feels that he's the Pharisees or Pontius Pilate, that I, I'm here to, in order to pr- preserve a greater peace, I'm going to sacrifice an innocent man. In this case, thousands of innocent Indians and and dozens of innocent Jesuit priests who are doing the will of God. I'm willing to sacrifice them for some political aim across the ocean 
Uh, and yeah. so like when Senior Hunter says, well, you know, your eminence, this is how the world works. This, and he's like, nope, that's not how the world works. That's how we made it. This is the world we, this is the world we created, right? So thus have we made it. That's yes. like the very conclusion. So he knows he's Pontius Pilate. Yeah. And, uh, um, like, and you put your finger on it. The reason why Robert De Niro, Rodrigo Mendoza is so captivating is because he's every great Christian. Sorry. He's St. Paul. Yeah. He's every yeah. convert. He's, you know, starts off violent and ends up peaceful. And, uh, at the end he, um, well, I don't know if we should, like, we can say it. Spoiler alert. <laughs> and at the end he takes up the, the sword again to defend his mission. Oh yeah, which is such a, in in many ways such a beautiful part of the I mean beautiful part of the movie, right? Because because his the boy, if you remember, went fishing mm-hmm. for his stuff again, yeah, and pulls it out of the uh, I guess the river there. Yeah, uh, it's is it, yeah. Speak- I love that. Yeah. I love that scene. Speaking of Jesuits, I once interviewed um, the famous fellow from Los Angeles, um, Father Gregory Boyle, a Jesuit, and I and before I did that, I listened to his memoir. Uh, on Audible, and he described when he was in Bolivia, which is not too far off, the people there used to carry rocks up to a hill to represent their sins. And Mm. so I learned from him that, like, that's a thing. And so then I immediately thought of the scene where he, in order to Somehow, you know, in order to um, as penance, as penance, right? His penance is all all this like metal, all the weapons and armors. He ties in a net and he drags up this muddy hill up to the top of the falls, which is you know the distance between the bottom of the falls and the top of the falls. uh, Roland Joffe really makes really tells that story because three times, first when Gabriel's climbing. Then when um, Mendoza is dragging up all his armor and finally when the soldiers are coming, like those are very long sequences. Right. And they I was wondering, like, why? Why so long? And it just it just it's supposed to. And I think it very effectively does show us what a distance there is between what they have built here and sort of the compromised world below. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're uh, exactly right. I actually got a chance to go to Bolivia years ago. No kidding. Yeah, yeah, it was really, um, really beautiful, and and some of the parts that I was in was a little scary too. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm not used to seeing guys, uh, you know, or so much like police around and you know, with machine guns and Uzis and things like that. Hmm. You know, their necks and uh, yeah, interesting, interesting area. Yeah, um, that's in, there's another movie we could talk about called Even the Rain, which is shot in Bolivia, which is sort of a hmm. Columbus um, uh, essay. But okay, so this is filmed at Iguazu Falls on the border of Brazil, Argentina, and um, Paraguay. So not a bad location. <clears throat> no, it's, it's like beautiful. Niagara Falls times 50. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? You think De Niro makes the right choice at the end to uh, leave, leave his priesthood and pick up the sword again? Uh, they all, everybody dies. Like in a yeah. story, everybody dies. And, uh, you know, Father, Father uh, Liam Neeson, who's called Fielding, uh, follows Robert De Niro to fight. And, on, and alone is uh, Iron, Jeremy Irons, Father Gabriel is alone, performing the Mass, walking with the monstrance in the Eucharist till soldiers kill him. This part is just so, I mean, this is a hard part to watch in the film. Yeah. You know, I mean, I felt heartbroken. Well, for one, I read up a little bit on it too, and I re- and and you know, if they 
if they were taking particular pieces of history, going back to that 756 war of uh, Guarani, the Jesuits did get involved in that war. So I did read that they, you know, they took part in the fight against the uh, Portuguese and uh, maybe the Spanish were there too. Um, I'd have to, you know, maybe you can tell me that, but I, I think De Niro definitely did the right thing. I think mm-hmm. there's a, there is a time where you do have to, you know, maybe in this case, it's a just war, right? Yeah. That's such a great question. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, and look at their faith, though. Like you said, they're, they're you know, he's carrying the monstrance and, oh, man, it's like, that's what the Guarani people realize, too, I, I think, is, look, at they love their faith. It's just like me, you know, it's like I, I, I fell in love with, the body of Christ at the mass, right? Mm -hmm. That's now become the most important thing for me. Like, wow, Jesus is actually present there. Mm -hmm. It's worth dying for. You know, we've heard lots of stories of people dying for this. So, yeah. 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 So, I mean, did he break a little obedience with the, the Jesuit order? Well, Possibly, but you know, at some point, I think you know, you have to do the right thing. And those people didn't want to. Leave. I mean, the Guarani didn't want to leave. Let's just be honest. And 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 that's historically accurate as well, right? Yeah, they didn't want to leave. They're like, no, you know, these missions really, from what we've seen in the movie too, you know, those different different places of the missions. That's something. There's more than one place, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know. Violent makers, the community, they really got a lot of it. It, it really is beautiful. It's, 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 yeah, it's what, what an achievement. And something yeah. like 26,000 people were <laughs> displaced by the closing of these seven, seven missions. And they, and they fought for it and they fought for, for it. What? And, uh, you know, like I was just thinking the whole time for what? Yeah. So, they, so, so certain people, I mean, this is just a, again, goes back to the battle of good and evil, in my opinion the devil's here and it's like ah it it, kind of breaks my heart a little bit yeah well um and so right and i i i think this is a really nice transition yeah to our other film because for what the henry the (laughs) eighth breaks from the church defender of the faith henry the eighth so-called uh so he can get a divorce uh and thomas more will not go with that would you like to to, to bring our other movie into it, The Man for All Seasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is um, this is the this is a classic, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think I wrote one of my articles a long time ago. I think we first, when we first started, missed you a day before a little bit about this. And, you know, I I was like, if you haven't seen this movie, you know, you I was a little extreme. Was, You're not Catholic, okay? Well, I'm, just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding about that, but you know, yeah. I, I it is important, I think, to know for one. This is Thomas More, right? He's a mm-hmm. saint. Yes, he's my uh, he's my uh, confirmation saint. I, when I oh, pers- no when I saw this movie back uh, last century, when I was a youngster, I really liked it, and that was my confirmation name. So he be- he gets canonized as saint in sainthood. Well, in 1935, you okay, know, by Pius XI. Um, th- this particular piece takes place, as you said, in the the uh, 16th century, right? Right. It's yeah, 15, 1535. Is we're backing up now. <laughs> yeah, we're backing up. We're going back we're in time. Back in time. And 
<clears throat> to me, this, this, this story is all about right of conscience. You know, my thesis actually was on the right of conscience. And I learned a lot from watch, watching this film. Of course, you know, Henry, this is the classic story. The Reformation is already, you know, kind of in, in motion, right? Because it it's starts in motion. In, yes. Yeah. It starts in 1517. I think we're, we're getting uh, some infiltration from it. You can see things are starting to take shape from that. Obviously, King Henry VIII wants to divorce his current wife, which was already made a, disp- a dispensation, right, from the Pope? Yes. He's married to Catherine of Aragon, whose sister to the King of Spain, who's Charles V, Emperor Charles V. Uh, he's married to her, which, and she was married previously to his brother who died. Is that correct? Is that the problem? Yes. Yes. And, of course, she can't bear... Uh, the main emphasis of the film is, well, she can't bear him a male son, so who's going to be the heir? Yeah, right. that's his problem. And here we have the problem, and he obviously falls for um, this Anne Bolin, mm-hmm. Henry VIII, and he wants the divorce. Yeah. <laughs> well, and here, here we go. Enter the film. Yeah, right. And, uh, yeah, uh, what are your thoughts on... The, on um, well, I just want to hear what you have to say on this now. Yeah. So, um, and there's young, you know, t- not young. There's Thomas More, who's a lawyer, who is a courtier, and yeah. who um, he has written um, Utopia. He is right. He's friends with all the other thinkers of the time, and you know, uh, pen pals with Erasmus of Rotterdam, and um, so he's like an upwardly mobile, very intelligent, a very loyal and dutiful courtier. Uh, and he's uh, moving in that world. Um, and the story of the movie is everybody goes along with what the king wants and he will not. And he's a lawyer, so he's careful. He doesn't want to criticize. He just wants to stay silent. He doesn't want to get yeah. in trouble. He just yeah. doesn't want to compromise what he believes. He knows the king's going to do what the king wants. Just don't make me say that it's okay. Yeah, and we see this at the beginning of the film, yeah. too, with Cardinal Wolsey, right? Yeah, and then that's uh, Orson Welles. Yeah, I was going to say, fabulously played by Orson Welles, right? Yeah. If you're, now, there's two versions, but just so people know out there. But like it was made later or by other people. Yeah, I think it was made a little later. Okay. Um, okay. No, I didn't know that. This is the, this is the this is the famous one. This I didn't know this there was is the one you got to watch. Well, I think my my brother had watched the other one, and I was telling him like, oh no, you have to watch the one with Paul Schofield. There's just no even. There's no there's no comparison. Yeah, Paul Schofield is Thomas More. Yep. Orson Welles is Thomas Wolsey. Yep. Uh, Robert Shaw is Henry VIII. Yep. One of my favorite uh, parts of this movie, of course, is the Richard Rich, which is John Hurt. Yeah. As a very young man. Yeah. We'll get into that part. Yes. Okay. So Thomas Wolsey uh, is is a cardinal. Uh, he's the head guy. He's I think he's Lord Chancellor, right? Which is the job that eventually Thomas Moore gets. But he, he's a man who has made every compromise, right? He's he for one thing, he's bright red. Like he's only in the beginning of the movie, but he's dressed in his cardinal outfit, so he's all red. His face is all red. He looks, you know, like a man who eats and drinks a lot of very rich food. And he's like sitting in front of a red curtain. So he's got a man with a red face, red clothes in front of a red curtain. And uh, it's a funny character because in, in 
and my own work when I was, you know, I I was writing my dissertation back when I was uh, working as a historian, uh, and I followed the career of a um, Polish-Lithuanian diplomat who went from um, Krakow to Spain to be with Charles V, and he visited Thomas Wolsey at Hampton Court, at exactly the place where this was filmed. Uh, And he describes um, Thomas Wolsey as a very unhealthy man, and he thought he might have contracted some um, venereal diseases. And I wrote to a bunch of Wolsey scholars at that time to ask, like, is this true? Or is he just, you know, is he just throwing, casting aspersions on this man? And nobody was able to say, like, no, he he was not suffering from syphilis as as this Polish diplomat whom whom I was studying and reading all his letters said that. But but this fits like that kind of like bloated, decadent, corpulent and also like not very happy, you know, not very happy with where power has led him. Uh, to this. No, I think I don't know if you have the quote of the last thing he says when this, he dies. I have what I wrote down is had I served God half so well as I'd served my king, God would not have left me to die here in this place. Yeah, that's exactly what I was talking about. Yes. Yeah, and then somebody I forgot who he's talking to says, "Well, thank God you will die here. The king would have you die in the tower." <laughs> oh, oh, that was um, that was uh, that was the Duke of Norfolk, right? Okay, great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you said this was a play, huh? Written by Richard Bolt. Robert yes. Bolt. Robert Bolt. Robert Bolt. Yeah, this is originally written as a play and then taken to the screen, you know, taken to the to the screen. I had that feeling because it all except for when they're in Hampton Palace at the beginning, the whole thing takes place at Thomas More's house, which is yeah. called Chelsea yeah. on the Thames, right? So it's yeah, one it's, spot. This could easily be put into a play. Yeah. So where do we go next here? This is. Uh... I mean, maybe, maybe if you don't mind, I just, I, I just love the Richie Rich. Yeah. Role. And unfortunately, we don't have a conversion like we did in, uh, and you're hoping for that, right? Mm-hmm. Like we saw in the mission. Yes. The arrows you were mentioning as a, you know, um, a conversion to the faith. Yeah. Well, I love this part of the film because Thomas More kind of is really, really has eyes for him. He sees that Rich is very worldly oriented, right? Like his eyes are set on his name, his fame. Yes. And again, this is another thing I can relate to in my younger years when I was just, that was like driving me in my music career. Like, oh man, I got to tour with this guy. Or if I could do that, you know, it's like, I mean... I didn't cut any throats here to get yeah. to the top, so that's probably why, <laughs> probably why I didn't. But no, yeah, yeah. it's true. But Rich was obviously he's a you young, know, ambitious. Big, yes, he wants and, to make a name know, for himself. It's really sad too, because well, I don't want to, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but let's just say that he gives a false testimony in the end, right? It just shows to me where how how far rich fell mm-hmm. and how demonically influenced you know he 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 ultimately became you know he stepped you know that's the problem you just keep staying in sin you keep staying in sin and i don't think you even see it anymore it's like wh- where's this guy's heart now mm-hmm. where is it gone you yeah. know well yeah, but i think he's an important character to look at in this film yeah well this is a time when you advance through patronage right you have a mentor he mm-hmm. recommends you he gives you a job uh, and every job you get, every office you get, you get a little more of a salary, a little more of a salary. And that's the way 
people advance. There was certainly no, you know, civil service exam or anything like that. You just, you just had to know somebody and they had to say like, yeah, this guy, you know, he's loyal to me. He has good Latin. He's a hard worker. He's pretty yeah. smart. He should have this, you know, he should have this office. So that's what young Richard Rich is hoping from. And, uh, and Thomas Moore had eyes for this too, right? Yeah. They noticed, you know, they were really warning. I mean, I think Thomas knew, but I didn't think Thomas knew to the, what level this would really reach. I mean, had he kicked him out there a long time ago, you know, like a Roper, right, mm-hmm. is the uh, son in or becomes the son-in-law who wants yeah. to marry Thomas More's daughter. Yeah, and um, there was a there was a, uh, a, a Bishop Barron gave a sermon about a year ago, uh, and he mentioned this. Uh, the Richard Rich character, and it was before, um, before I I hadn't seen it in a long time, so I didn't remember it. But it's the yeah. scene where um, Thomas More is telling Rich, like, you should be a teacher. Yes, you might be a, a fine teacher, perhaps a great one. Yep. And uh, Rich says, "Well, if I was, who would know it?" And he yep. says, "You, your pupils, your friends, God, not a have bad a public life." Man. He says, "Get married, have children, um, you know, serve your wife, and all these things." He was saying, and yeah. What did what did what did what did Baron uh, respond on that? Did he did he? No, that was his that was his view also. Like you were all chasing, like exactly like you said, we're right. all chasing name and fortune and, mm-hmm. um, you know, likes on the social media, whatever it is, you know, the the billing, the recognition, and that stuff is that stuff is like grass that grows in the morning and <laughs> dies in the evening, and none of it matters, and none of it'll make you happy. As all the most successful people reflecting say like yeah it only it never there's never enough it never makes you happy none of that's important no. No. and also no nobody cares <laughs> no like, like no I, they really don't you know i mean I've, I've noticed it in my own life it's like well i i definitely have much more peace now not chasing the the you know the rabbit around the <laughs> the ring there you know it's like mm-hmm. serving god and trying to do his will is and living a peaceful life I mean Thomas More. That's why I really look up to Thomas More in this film for 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 so many reasons. I mean he's so refined. He's obviously loves God with all his heart, right? Which we now get into the <laughs> to the deep part of well, what happens here, huh? Yeah. Did you want to say something about uh, Will Roper, the his son-in-law? Did... Well, I find the Will Roper character very very interesting, especially you know when you have Catholic eyes on this, right? He's Lutheran, right? He's jumped over to the Lutheran ship <laughs> yes. at the beginning, right? He wants the hand in marriage. And, and you know what? I just love Thomas More because, you know, this kind of man today would ha- has such a hard time. This is a man like myself in a lot of ways. Well, I'm not putting myself on it. You know what I mean? I'm not a Thomas More here. I'm just saying a man that's convicted with traditional values like that, Thomas did not think it was a good idea that his daughter's marrying a Lutheran. And, and, and I agree with this. Mm-hmm. I mean, he wanted, you know, Catholics to Catholic, you know, being evenly yoked, especially being in a marriage is, is extremely important. I'm not saying it can't be done. And we probably have softened up in some modern ways, but I'm, I, I, I'm so, I, Thomas's protection of his daughter is, is beautiful to me. Yeah. And look at Roper really respects Thomas too. Yeah. You know, and, and in all honesty, Thomas respects Roper too. 
he doesn't respect him necessarily for, as he says, well, what is it this week? You know, what are you going to yeah. be into this week? I mean, Rob Roper is obviously a very good man, and and you can tell he really loves the loves his daughter, and he knows that. Yeah, and he and he converts back to Catholicism. Yeah, which is you know, Amen. I'm just so happy about that part. It's like, yeah, man, thank yeah. you. Listen to the, you know, it's kind of like if we're going to talk tribal here for a minute. It's like the mm-hmm. head of the tribe, you know, the the wise older man that's put in the time i mean there's wisdom is not always in the older Mm -hmm. adults right this particular case it certainly is right yeah and um i think we all we all try stuff out and i remember being a teenager and very interested in in buddhism and loving it and going to the berkeley buddhist monastery across Mm -hmm. the street from my high school and and just loving it and it's just you you got to let him let him figure stuff out but if you want to join my family right and this is a time when he really gets to it's not like his wife i'm sorry it's not like his daughter you know moves takes a job in new york city and you know emails him daily it's no they're like this is this is his household he's the head of the household um and he gives her by the way i mean he really loves his daughter i mean she's very very educated right which is she's wonderful yeah beautiful part of this film showing that the man was not, of course, the head of the house here. The man is not, you know, restricting his daughter. Matter of fact, he's really lifting her up with her education. She's extremely smart and, um, you know, I think protecting her. Yes. No, I think that that relation, like, okay, so he and his wife have a beautiful marriage. But, <laughs> but, his, but his wife isn't of the same cloth. She's not, you know, she's not as learned as his daughter. And so he no, and his no, daughter have a very special... Reading, remember? <laughs> yeah. She doesn't read. Yeah. And this daughter who speaks such great, you know, Latin and is so witty and so charming, definitely the oh, apple. Bread. Yeah. Um, so they, they have a very special friendship and he's, and they have, it's, it's a lovely, it's a lovely thing. Now, I don't know that that translates because I don't know if I told you, but my wife is a Protestant. So we are, as they say, a mixed marriage and it's been working great because what makes us, uh, the same is our, our Christianity in a very secular time. And there, the, the cultural rifts are not between Catholics and Protestants. I mean, there are compromises, there's compromises that we make, but we, but they're not the important ones, I think. And the important ones are with the secular world, the the, the, the secular values of the world around us. That's that's where sure. the division is. Certainly. And, yeah, and, and I said that too. I mean, there's obviously many people that, that do make this work. Um, I think there can be a challenge in that as well in some ways. But, you know, like you say, you get the right partner, you get the right partner. I mean, yeah. It's, hard. Totally. it's hard not to find the right partner. I mean... <laughs> Totally. Okay. So what does he do? He will, he's very careful, right? He doesn't, he doesn't want to oppose the king. He's not a rabble rouser. He's very moderate. He just won't approve. He'll stay quiet. And that's yeah. not enough. And finally, and so let's talk about the king. Cause he, uh, this, oh. the king is in it for what? 15 minutes, 10 minutes. Uh, and he's so great. He's got this bright golden tunic. Uh, he's such a braggart and just, used to getting his way all the time and oh gosh yeah uh, Robert Shaw I you know he he's the uh he's Quentin Jaws he's the bad guy from Russia with love and he's Doyle Lonigan in the Sting where he's also kind of a braggart and a bully Oh uh, is he okay I did yeah. I did So so he's kind of this erratic enthusiastic 
man in a gold doublet. I mean, he's he's a musician, um, but uh, he's right, yeah. <laughs> he's tempestuous. He's uh, he's uh, mercurial. He's uh, he's kind of a he's kind of a fire. He's kind of fiery, and he also has this like I'm the king. I always get my way. And so when when Thomas More won't agree. He's like, you see, you see how you have maddened me. I hardly know myself, which is kind of a crazy thing to say. Like, oh, you're making me crazy. I'm, you know, sort of like whatever it is, it's not his fault. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah it's the uh, it's the unbalanced king here, you know. Yeah. So you know, I think like that's how probably princes are raised is to because we maybe that's their station, so they need to be that confident. Because it's a such a stressful job, you never doubt Maybe, yourself. But, you know, I you know, humility is is a great virtue. Yeah, and I'm and there's many kings that we probably researched that have have had this. You know, and but you know, King Henry VIII obviously here this is a virtue that he is lacking, and this obviously goes into the other areas of why. Gosh, I just wish that he would have just left Thomas alone. You yeah. know, in all honesty, it's like, why, why did he, why, why was it so necessary? I mean, the film really emphasizes, um, and I don't know if this is true or not, how much King Henry VIII really looked up to Thomas More, right? And yeah. he really, because Thomas was known, and it, by everyone around, you know, I think Cromwell says this too, who Cromwell, right, mm-hmm. is a pretty snaky character, right? Yeah. I mean, he even, admits that's like Thomas was just honest. Yeah. I, I always scratch my head like, was it really worth it? I mean, you got what you wanted anyways. Why didn't you just leave Thomas more alone? Yeah. It's, it's really, there is something about uh, always having your way, mm. this sort of narcissistic. Well, I think you're right about that. I think that's what this, I think that's, that may be ultimately what was going on here. Yeah, that's the indictment. And they really, of course, try to um, blackmail Thomas More in many ways with the bribe that he gets the silver cup and things mm-hmm. like that, which <clears throat> doesn't really um, hold up, right? Right. He's given a cup as a, as a present in order to influence his judgment, but he realizes that quickly and passes it on to the boatman that is, you know, is taking him along the river and he tries to get rid of it. And that none of that stuff sticks. But um, no, but Cromwell obviously is trying to please King Henry VIII, right? Yeah. So he's grasping at straws at this point. Yeah. And, and I don't know if they were thinking that death was going to entail here, but well, I guess it started to become on the horizon, correct? Yeah. And I think they backed themselves into a corner. Uh, and so, yeah, just as the king says, you see how you have maddened me. I hardly know myself. It's like, you see what you made me do? I got to protect, I got to keep the rules so you your head must come off because you are a, a traitor. Maybe by insisting so much, they've, they've closed all avenues for just letting him live with his ambiguity, right? Because he often says, like, whatever may be done by smiling, you may count on me to do it. <laughs> I'm very happy just to say nothing. But right. once once they insist, like, no, which you're either with us or against us, then, like, you can't be against the king. So that's... Like on on and again, it's like the fragility of the of the monarch. Like on on that, everything rests. As soon as you start to doubt, and it's only fifteen thirty five. So, but like later on, a, a couple hundred years later, as soon as you start to doubt on the the 
the sacred person of the king. If you start to doubt that, then a lot of other things start to fall by the wayside. And so they, they're really, they're really hesitant to, they really refuse. They won't, they won't let the least, least bit of, um, what's the word for it? It's not sedition. It's, uh, Les, right. les majesté. It, les majesté is like the idea that you're not taking him seriously. You're taking him. You're you're not. It. You're not. You're not treating with sufficient gravity, the person of the king, because in the person of the king is the whole <laughs> state, which is a uh, it's, it's like a consensual hallucination, like anything else. And once you start to pull on the threads of it, then everything starts to fall apart. So they'll they'll kill you. They'll cut your head off. And. Um, this is why going back to that quote again from um, uh, Cardinal Wolsey, Orson Welles, right, I think yeah. is the most significant. I mean, it really sums up this whole movie because um, what happens to these other people like um, Thomas, uh, Duke of, of Norfolk, right? Mm-hmm. Well, he ends up, as you see at the end of the film, too, you know, not during this particular time period. Well, a little bit later, right? He gets killed for high treason as well. Oh, do they say that at the end with the sort of like the epilogue? Yeah. Cromwell as well. Yeah. All these guys die by the sword in some ways or, or or for treason of some kind, right? Which just goes to show you it's like, you know, even in our times today, be careful where, you know, you're putting your um, faith into, right? Yeah. No, it's like any, any uh, totalitarian... state if if you're in the you know you get very high in the communist party of the soviet union you're gonna die yeah yeah Yeah. it's (laughs) yeah you're right i know i'm reading some socialism right now too so yeah you're you're hitting right in my lane here (laughs) yeah Yeah. um no uh yeah i I forgot that epilogue yes and so a lot of these guys who just they got too close to the sun they got too close to the king and they got burned because for whatever reason and they'll throw you out to they'll throw you out to dry once you're not serving them anymore yeah when you're close to the king it's like everybody's a stepping stone for everybody else you're trying to get up 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 they're not people you see on the weekend they're not people whose kids birthday parties you go to they're not people who you're gonna hang out with you know for for better or for worse and once they're you know they're not your friends because they were friends they were your friends because they were useful politically somehow to you and and i think these are the the conversations in a lot of ways that just bring that come from this film right Mm mm-hmm Come from the story of Thomas More. I mean, do you want to describe how how he ends up, you know, going into prison? <laughs> yeah, he goes to prison. He's got his he's got his books, uh, and um, well, I temporarily. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and um, I I want to. Well, I I what what struck me was when he's getting was getting his head cut off. He immediately forgives the executioner. You know, like you're just doing your job, buddy. I'm I'm not upset at you. He he. he for- I love that part too, and it really goes into yesterday's reading. What was yesterday's reading? I was yesterday. Oh, I can't back up to the today's the twentieth, right? Yeah. So I'm looking at February nineteenth. I I'm. Oh yeah. Where it's it's pretty hard reading in in regards to oh the eye for an eye the tooth for yes yesterday yeah. was okay so we're recording on um, Monday February twentieth and so yesterday's yeah. reading uh, that Jonathan's referring to would have been um, the Sermon on the Mount. Yes. Jesus says to his disciples, you have heard it for an eye for an eye. So go ahead, please. 
Oh, no, no, please read the scripture. I, okay, I, so Jesus said to his disciples, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, offer no resistance to one who is evil. When someone strikes you on your right cheek, turn the other one as well. If anyone wants to go to law with you over your tunic, hand over your cloak as well. Should anyone press you in a service for one mile, go for two miles. Give to one who asks of you and do not turn your back on one who wants to borrow. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, persecute you so that you may be children of your heavenly father. For he makes his sun rise on the bad and the good and causes rain to fall on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what recompense, what recompense will you have? Do not the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brothers only, what is unusual about that? Do not the pagans do the same. So be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, that's beautiful. I mean, and I really, yesterday when I heard, I was thinking about this too, the Thomas More thing, and, and that, that particular scene. And and, you're, and when he says, you know, for he makes uh, his sun rise on the good and the bad, this is a hard thing for us to do is to forgive those that really harm us, right? Mm-hmm. But I've said this, you know, a lot more re- recently, you know, to myself, I'm saying I've said this to myself, I've had conversations with friends about this is well, what you lose on earth, you lose in heaven, correct? I mean, you don't want to take this anger with you, right? I mean, the sun still, God is still shining on the on the bad ones, right? We, we must pray for them. For, yeah. I mean, forgiveness is everything. Look, I went to confession this week, mm-hmm. past week. And it's like, okay, God forgive me. Yeah. How am I not able to, you know, forgive people that do do harm to me? Now, I, I think we need to make a little statement here. It doesn't mean that you go necessarily out there having to go and have a beer with them next week, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Hang out with that person that may yeah, have done yeah, you yeah. wrong, whatever. But we certainly forgive them and hope that they give their life to Christ, right? Yeah. Which is exactly what Thomas More was doing there. Yeah, no, and what a good distinction, because, um, you know, the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, there's a quotation which is often attributed to Gandhi, which may or not may not be true, where he right. says, like, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, the whole world will be blind and toothless. But that's not what that means. That, that In the Old Testament, it means, look, somebody kills your sheep, you get one of their sheep. You don't get to go and kill their kids also. And it so, like, the great innovation... Uh, in in the Old Testament is, no, an eye for an eye only, right? You lose one eye, you take one eye and no more. And it's meant to stop the feud and the sort of tribal escalation of violence. And that has worked well to make a society just. But then Jesus, who not only is interested in justice, but also in grace, says like, well, I will show you a better way, right? And, And the better way is love. And that's like, that's an aspirational thing. That's like we can't do that on our own. We we cannot get there. It's as Paul as it Paul says. It's it's Christ in us. It's not me. It's Christ in us. And I think um, uh, in the mission, like that's that's the great debate between Mendoza and Gabriel. Because when Mendoza first becomes a Jesuit, Gabriel gives him that one Corinthians uh, thirteen, right? Like um, if I. Uh, the love, faith, and hope, the greatest of these is love, that whole reading. And when when he climbs up that mountain with that big net full of armor and those Indians are holding a knife to his neck, 
Mm. And Gabriel's like, hold on, let's just watch what happens. And instead of, and he's ready. He's like, yeah, I deserve it. Cut my neck. And they cut off the rope. And they're the only ones who can free him from that penance. Like they're the only you, ones. You, oh my gosh. You're so absolutely yeah. right. And th- those two, you're, yeah, a great, great little tie in there with that scene, bringing that scene back to the mission and what Thomas Moore is doing, you know, forgiving the, yeah. his killer, which is really doing his job. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, was, that would, that blew, that blew me away too. That was, Oh, that blew me away. I mean, everywhere that I read about that, the mission film, uh, that scene always gets brought up as the most profound scene. I mean, De Niro, you know, is crying and there's just so much emotion in that scene. Yeah. But it's all about, you know, forgiveness. I mean, it's really the turning point for him, right? Yeah. Well, maybe not the complete turning point. There's a lot of turning points for him, actually. But this one is certainly a healing, Mm -hmm. you know. This also reminds me a little bit. I'm, I'm going to be doing a podcast on um, next week on C.S. Lewis's Great Divorce. Oh, good. Yeah. And, you know, this reminds me what you made on that comment, too, about the part where are you familiar with the book? Very. Yes. Oh, good. Well, maybe I'll have to have you on, too. <laughs> you have three people on this show. Yeah. Um, it's I love that because this reminds me of the of the scene in the. uh in the great divorce where the guy meets the other guy he's in heaven right and the other guy's yeah. saying to him well i was a good person on the earth wow what are you doing in heaven essentially right yeah and i did everything this is the guy that's just, mm-hmm. you know out of limbo or or hell we're actually hell right he's on vacation <laughs> and he's um i was a good i paid my taxes you know i did this yeah. da 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 yeah, that's a, it's the big brother in um, the prodigal son. Like, I have been yeah. here the whole time. Where's my, yeah. where's my goat? <laughs> yeah, there you go. You know, and it made me think, like, maybe in simplistic terms, because don't be surprised who you might see in heaven. Yeah. Don't be surprised Yeah, who you don't expect someone, right? It's like, what, him? How, but, but what? Well, you just don't know what's going on with the conversion of, of, of people, right? Mm-hmm. And just doing duty too, right? I mean, being pure and honest in your heart. I mean, that's everything. Yes. I, I mean, totally agree with you. What is it when we go to confess our sins and, you know, we say that? Are you, um, what do they say? I'm, I'm, I'm missing uh, the part with uh, when they absolve you. Oh, you mean the, the act of contrition? Or? Well, yeah, the act of contrition, but you have to be really, um, you know, sorry for your sins right yeah and you you confess your you say you say how long it's been you confess your sins and then because you're not going to remember everything you say for these and all my other sins i am sure hardly sorry and then 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 uh, you know you get the the priest uh, at least in for me the priest like always talks it over and 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 shares his views and guidance and they're you know very very helpful and finally he says you know i absolve you in the name of the father son and the holy spirit well, you have to have what I'm saying is, yeah, contrition, right? You have to have the, the contrition, of course, obviously, yeah. in your heart, right? Yeah. So that's everything. We don't know what's going on with the other person. Yeah. And you don't know where they've been or what they're coming from and, and what their backstory is. And if you've had a very comfortable mm-hmm. life, you know, you, you're in a better position in the first place. And if they've been through some kind of horrors, 
you know, they're, they're starting at a kind of a deficit. And so they may have come a long, long way yeah. and they're facing the right direction. It's like, not only where are you, but which way are you headed? It's almost like a game of, uh, of vectors. Like if, how fast are you going in which way? <laughs> Well, I've, you know, I'm, I'm a guy that's, you know, maybe came from some, you know, a good, raised in a good way, but, you know, maybe went down some wrong paths. So I already, I know that it's, you know, sometimes these guys that are troubled really are very fervent in the faith. They've really become very fervent in the faith too. But don't give up on these people that you think, oh man, they're hopeless. Yeah. There's no hope for them. Well, God never thinks that, you know, this, and getting back to tie this up here is... Yeah, the henchman that ends up, you know, chopping off Thomas the Moor's head. Well, Thomas knew mm-hmm. he's doing his job, and you know, we don't know what what's in that guy's heart too. And God will forgive him. Yeah, no, and the, you know, he's Tim. The state needs, and I mean, hope we Catholics oppose the death penalty. However, back in the 16th century, the state needed an executioner because that's how justice was served at the time. So. Um, that's that's where they were at that point, and that guy was just doing his job. Maybe he was a very honorable fellow. Um, well, you know, we, yeah, yeah, you're right. And we see the same story in in Saint uh, Marie Godetti. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, that's a great story. Did, I think did we talk about her last time? I feel we did. Did we? I think so. So my same um, Marie Godetti was was attacked and and I think raped and stabbed by some guy, and she. Not only forgave him as she was dying, but then she appeared to him later in life, and he had a great conversion. And after prison, he became, you know, a very devoted, holy man. Uh, And I think forgiveness is just rooted in everything. It's so hard. You just don't want to carry that. Like that's one thing I don't want to carry. You know, to to my grave. I mean, I I try to, you know, in family relationships and everything, you know, forgive. You know, you don't want to be carrying these grudges. I think they can be very, very dangerous. Yeah, for the soul. I think that's, I think that's very wise. Now we've been talking for over an hour, and before yeah. before we part company, I'd like to ask you about. Uh, it's not only is it President's Day, but it's also Lundi Gras, the day before Mardi Gras, and we're about to enter the season of Lent. Uh, um, what are you going to do for Lent? Well, I may have told you in the last time. I don't know if if that was with you or with someone else. Um, but I've been doing that Exodus challenge. Oh, yeah, Exodus 90. So you've been doing it. Yeah, so I've been on the Exodus thing, so we're right in the middle, right? Gotcha. So now Wednesday, obviously, we have Lent, and there's 40 days left. So I have 40 days more of a particular asceticism and, and trying to – I mean, look, at this for me, this is all about keeping the focus on God mm-hmm. and uh, removing things on my life uh, fasting, of course, I'm already doing the fasting on Wednesdays and Fridays in the group. So that's already kind of in motion. I'm already a little bit in play. Um, I've deleted, uh, uh, my, my Twitter account and a lot of my social media, actually almost all my social media. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't feel that I, I felt like it was honestly, Chris, just getting too much. I'm already busy enough. And I want to focus on Miss your day um, my, my own relationship with God. And I just don't want to be tied to my phone too much. So that's really helped me out and, and given me a little more peace. 
Excellent. Yeah. And so, and you're also taking cold showers, I take it. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, I was, I, I mean, I kind of still am, but I actually got a little sick like two weeks ago. I don't know if it's from the showers or not. Oh, no. I've been having this cough that's just been, been lingering. So I've had to take some warm showers just for my health and, you know, eat a little more. We don't, we don't snack in between meals, which has not been, that hasn't been very difficult. Yeah. You know? Um, but I just really want to dedicate myself to the Eucharist. You know, I want to stay out of sin and spend a lot more time at uh, adoration. Oh, wonderful. Good for you. I'm just really into, you know, I've been reading John yeah. 6 lately and Brad Petrie's book, The uh, uh, Jesus and the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist, which is really reminding me that Christ really is present in the, in the bread. Yeah. Beautiful. I know a little bit about Exodus 90 because I looked it up after you had um, mentioned it last time, but um, I'm not doing that. I, I usually just, uh, I already try to do the daily readings and the daily rosary and the examining. Oh, yeah, daily readings too. Thanks. But uh, I, uh, I, I just give up alcohol for, for Lent. So I look forward to drying out a little bit. I have, uh, I have a little bit of tequila here at the house that I'm going to take care of in the next two days. And then we're not we're not drinking alcohol either right now. Yeah, we, on the Exodus. Well, we're allowed to have one day during the week. Uh huh. Right? Um, I'm gonna have to check and see if our Lent's gonna be the same way. Do we still have a, a particular day we're allowed to do things? Um, but I don't think we are in Lent. Yeah. During Lent, Sundays do not count because it's if you it's 40 days between Ash Wednesday and Easter, and the Sundays make it 47. I I, I didn't know that for a long time, and when I was living in East, uh, sorry, when I was living in West Africa, I had known i had been in church on ash wednesday and i counted 40 days and i knew that that'd be easter and so i came back to the big city where there was a, a, a christian church because this country mali is a muslim country and it's like okay great i made it for easter and it was palm sunday i was like what it's palm sunday and then it, then i looked at the calendar it's like oh, oh. i guess it's 47 days and i never figured that out until i realized they don't count the sundays well, thank you for kind of refreshing my memory on that. Yeah. And probably if people are listening to this, if, they, if you've made it this far to the podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think, yeah, this no, they're lovely talking with you. Let's do it again in, in another few months and we'll come up with some good movies. Um, and would you please uh, say a blessing for our listeners? Uh, yes, I think I'll just end with a prayer today. Um, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and stares of the devil. May God rebuke and we humbly pray. And do thou, Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast in his hell Satan, and all the evil spirits prowl around the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Amen. The the Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Nails, spear shall pierce him through the cross. Be born for me, for you, and hail, hail the Word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. Chris Odinitz and Jonathan Fessenden recorded this conversation, episode 49, on Monday, February 20th, 2023. It was the feast day of St. Zenobius of Antioch, who was martyred in the persecutions of Diocletian in the year 310. St. Zenobius, pray for us. Our music is from Josh and Margot of the Great Space Coaster Band, www.gscoasterband.com. 
Our logo, the image of the dog, is from a stained glass window at the Monastery of Santo Domingo de Silos in Spain and is taken with the permission of the Dominican Friars of England, Scotland, and Wales from their website, www.english.op.org. I'm Chris Odinitz. I thank you for listening. Please email me at almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. I answer every single email. The next movie we'll be talking about is Babette's Feast in a few weeks. I'll be talking with a Dominican nun, Sister Maria Catherine. It's her favorite movie, and I'm watching it for the first time. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds God and angels sing. Thank you.